Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Sabrina Lott, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the CSAP Floor. Today, we have a very special guest with us, um, Tammy Getchell, who is an Enablement Solutions Architect here at Cisco. Tammy was one of my instructors this past year during my um, portion of boot camp. So we are going to be talking about setting boundaries when working from your bedroom. Tammy, before we get started, just give a little bit of background about who you are and how did you get to the position you're in today? Sure, I can do that. So I am actually an alum, alumni, I guess would be the correct term, of CSAP. I went through in 0708. And that's how I got my start at Cisco. I guess if you want me to talk about life before Cisco, my roots are in Canada, if you can tell from my accent. And I went to school at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. So that is a beautiful polytechnic school in Alberta, Canada. And I was very lucky. I came out of school and I was going from, okay, I just need to find a job. I need to get some experience. And I ended up breaking into Cisco by the CSAP program. So it was quite a great experience to go through CSAP. After that, I moved to Saskatchewan, Canada, where the running joke there is that it's so flat, you can see your dog run away for five days. And I worked for Cisco there for over 10 years as a systems engineer. So I worked with our customers for about five years, and then I transitioned and worked with partners for another five or so years, maybe a bit more before accepting the job with CSAP. Wonderful. So the reason why we have you here talking today is setting boundaries when working from your bedroom. Now more than ever, when especially early in career people, the beginning of a career is much more different than it was five years ago, one year ago, six months ago even, especially because of the pandemic. And so why we wanted to talk to you is because you have been working on an initiative for these past nine-ish months on LinkedIn. Tammy has been spending the past months working on these work from home tips where she's gotten to about a hundred different tips where she plugs out periodically of different ways to work from home. And so Tammy, would you like to give us a little bit of background on that? What compelled you to give all these tips and how did you think of 100 in the first place? Well, it starts fairly early in my career. My first work from home experience actually came prior to Cisco. I volunteered to work from home in a contact center job. So it was perfect. I was at home. I had a headset on. Somebody was talking to me all day. It was perfect. And I enjoyed that experience. But my second experience working from home was not voluntary. My Cisco office was closed down and we were asked to work from home. And I didn't enjoy that experience. So try to prevent the mistakes that I had made or the suffering that I had went through because I did things wrong in my past. And that's where it really came about is just previous experience and trying to put some good out there when it was so dark. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying and that's really insightful. I think a lot of us were excited to work from home when we were originally sent home from the office. 
you know, where you get to work from your pajamas, there's no commute, etc. But there are negative downsides to working from home. And there's also just unexpected expectations or day-to-day nuances that only someone who's worked from home previously can really attest to. The, the facts and the tips that you were able to provide were very insightful and obviously has gotten some attention considering that you and I are talking here today. What do you think is one of your, your favorite tips that you gave over this past year? I would have to say the tale of burnt bacon is one of my favorite <laughs> tips. It's, it's kind of funny. I had been craving bacon for weeks and I was trying to eat healthy and, you know, bacon really isn't up there on the most healthiest food. So I finally broke down and we got some bacon and my husband always cooks. I'm very blessed that way. He, he always does the cooking and honestly, he does a better job than I do. So he burnt the bacon. And not only did he burn the bacon, he served it to me black. And I mean crispy black, like somebody had just flame put a flamethrower to it and then served it to me. And I just had to laugh because, you know, that's what working from home was like. Like, I didn't want to work from home at that point. I wanted to be in the office with my associates and teaching. And here I am at home. You know, sometimes life just gives you burnt bacon. It's not what you're expecting. When life gives you burnt bacon... You plate it and you serve it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently, if you're my husband anyways. At least our marriage didn't end. (laughs) (laughs) And so I know, at least from you and and me's previous conversations, when you've worked from home in the past, there's more people who are affected by you working from home. For example, you have your husband. I have my boyfriend. He and I both work from home. For all we know, we might hear him walking through the background later on, but that's just what happens when you work from home. So tell me about a time when you didn't have a work-life balance and how did that affect you and the people around you? When I first came out of the CSAP program I was working very very long hours and it wasn't until my husband took a job where he was busy and I was in a bit of a slow period they do come here here and there at Cisco maybe not very often but they do come and he was the one that was sitting at the dining room table working you know until late into the evening and I was the one sitting there watching him work and that's when it kind of dawned on me what it must have been like for him and I always say that it's always a trade-off for everything there's always a cost time is such a limited and precious thing like the more time you put into work you're going to pay a cost for that somewhere else in your life. So, for example, in my first couple of years outside of the program, I was working long hours. I wasn't taking care of my health. I wasn't taking time to really build a strong social network in the new city that I had just moved to, which I think was to my detriment. So I was paying a price for my choice to be working so much in some form. Something has to give if you choose to work long hours and and have to go through that cycle. Yeah, I'm just thinking of my, from my own experience, before I was at Cisco, I worked a full-time day job, and then I bartended at night, and then on the weekends, I taught classes. Oh, and wow. I did that, be- it was a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and I was choosing to do so. I was doing that, A, because I wasn't satisfied with my day job, hence why I'm at Cisco today, and I liked my side gigs. I loved bartending. I loved teaching kids how to ride bikes and climbing outside. I taught outdoor rock climbing. And so the, my side gigs, I didn't want to give up because those were what was fulfilling me, what was like giving me joy out of my day. But it wasn't until I was removed where I was realizing that 
I didn't have time for myself. I didn't have time for my partner, etc. When you're young and you're early in career, it's important to realize that what you do, like you were saying, there's some kind of cost no matter what you do. It affects the people that are around you. My boyfriend would always sit me down and say, hey, you are working yourself to death. Like I am watching your happiness drain from you. Why don't you quit your jobs? And every time I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I have to prove myself. I'm young and I need to prove to people that I'm a hard worker. So I think that what you were saying earlier is so valuable and regardless of what you decide to do, there are associated costs with either working too much, working too little, etc. And you have to recognize that and weigh that into your decision making. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you bring up an interesting point, you know, like I have to prove myself. That's a, a very common feeling when you're early in career. And I would say that I felt like I had to prove myself. I can remember I got my second role at Cisco was a partner SE, so systems engineer. And I had to go meet one of the directors and introduce myself saying, you know, I'm the new Cisco partner systems engineer. And he looked at me and he was probably late 40s, early 50s. And he's like, why do you deserve to be here? Why are you qualified essentially to be here? And luckily for me, I rattled off the many Cisco certifications I had at that point. But I had to work many hours to earn those certifications. So that that idea of I'm young, I have to prove myself, it's definitely there. But I think you have to be careful of the precedent you set and the tone that you set really early in your career. You know, the faster you go, the faster you're expected to work. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you do want to make impact and you want to make sure that you're showing that you're performing, but you don't want to burn yourself out. And speaking from someone who did burn themselves out, I actually burnt myself out on multiple occasions early in my career. You really have to sit down and decide, what is it that I value? What is it that I want? And I personally think that that's probably more important than trying to achieve any type of, quote, work-life balance. Yeah. You have mentioned before that the the uniqueness of the phrase work from work-life balance, I've been told before that it's, say, a myth. Do you have a better definition of what work-life balance should be called or defined as? I don't know if I have a better term for it. I think it's kind of become like the pursuit of happiness. Like, I'll be happy when I get this promotion. I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds or I'll be happy when I get married. Whatever it may be, you're always in pursuit of it. And work-life balance mm -hmm. has kind of fallen into that. Well, I'll be more balanced if I get this task done or if I schedule this. Like, I don't think anyone can give you 10 best tips to guarantee work-life balance. The truth is it doesn't exist, at least in my opinion. At the end of the day, you have to look at your job. What are the demands of your job? What is the staffing level of your team? What is the situation around you? Does it lend itself to having a work-life balance? Or is it mm -hmm. not? And there's, there's also, I think, a time in your career and there's times where you will be busy and you will rotate more to the work side. And you'll have a little heavier work side. And I think that's okay. You know, like you choosing to work to meet whatever personal goals you were trying to do. But I think you have to be aware and think, how long is this going to carry on for? Is this sustainable? Is this sustainable? I love that phrase. I think that that's a really great way to look at things. 
You mentioned a little bit before about how there's busy seasons and slower seasons here at Cisco, or really at any position that you have. Can you just speak to a little bit about embracing those quick and slow periods, especially as a early in career person wanting to prove themselves how to deal with slow periods and how one might manage it when they run into that kind of situation? Yeah, I, I understand why that kind of question comes up. I have this funny expression. I, I say, you know, I'm like a thoroughbred. I like to work. I like to be put to work. I like to be useful. And if you put me in the barn for too long, I go crazy because I like to run. But I think when there's downtime, that's the time to start investing in yourself. Take some training. This industry is always changing. There's always something to learn. And taking advantage of that downtime to enable your own development is very powerful because it sets you up for the next time things get busy. Yeah, by taking that time to invest in yourself is something that you can dictate on your own timeline, meaning that the pressures of external things can come and take over if needed, but it's there when you need it. And I think that's very important is having something to fall back on, some kind of personal project. It could be time to invest in yourself, but it could also be like, I don't know, my friend is doing 3D printing right now and they're learning how to use a 3D printer. So it might be just something where he wants to gain a skill set of how to use a 3D printer. And that's just something where he is investing in himself. Is it necessarily relevant to his actual career? Not necessarily, but it's something that he's learning and growing and it's a project of his. Something that most people will find a lot of fulfillment on is having some sort of project, whether it's work related or not. And I think you're touching on a really good topic right now. And it's like early in career, you can't just focus on work. I remember I had a friend who was so focused on getting the next promotion. When were they going to get the next promotion? When was it going to happen? Why weren't they ready? And I looked at them and I said, why don't you focus on something other than work? And I've even seen some of our leadership here at Cisco where they actually mapped their week out and they said, for me, an ideal week includes five hours of watching TV with my significant other or flying the airplane. So obviously I'm talking about somebody who can afford to fly an airplane. <laughs> but I think the point still stands, right? Is it's okay to prioritize something other than work. I think early in career, we feel maybe a little bit like an imposter. Like, do I deserve to be here? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm too young. I don't know enough. I don't have enough experience. And those self thoughts of doubt and uncertainty circulate in our minds. And I think they drive us to maybe overwork more than we should. And I think it's important to take a step back and realize this company has hired you because they believe in you. They saw something in you. And you have to just take that as your base that you deserve to be here and work not from a standpoint of fear, like I have to prove myself, I have to prove I'm worthy, but coming at it from a point where, look, I know I'm worthy, now let me show you what I can do. Pause for dramatic effect. That was really beautiful. What you touch on is something that I think races through people's minds regardless of what point in their career they are. Of course, right now we're talking in the lens of an early in career person, someone who is just beginning their career, maybe fresh out of college or first or second job. But really, I don't think that imposter syndrome ever will go away. And like you were saying, 
they they chose you for a reason and you may think well i tricked them i just did really well in my interview that's another thing that i think races through people's brains <laughs> and i think that something that also should be recognized is that even if you say tricked them they also know that you are an early in career person they know that you do not have 25 years of experience. They know that you are fresh out of university or that you're in your early 20s. They know that and they are hiring you with that knowledge in mind. And so even if you don't think that you're qualified, maybe you only have 3 years of experience versus 5 years required on the the document. They may like other attributes about yourself that they think qualify you more. And so I think that that really plays into the whole concept of imposter syndrome is Maybe you don't meet all of the requirements written out on a piece of paper, but they see something in you external that can't be displayed, say on a piece of paper, something that's a cultural fit. And I think that that is so important to realize and to recognize that maybe I don't have all these qualifications academically or career-wise, but my personality can make up for it. My interests, my hobbies, what makes me me. That's why they hired you out of anyone else. So, I love what you're saying. I can say that from experience. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was hired here at Cisco is that I didn't have a lot of tech experience necessarily, but I think that they saw something in me outside of that, and that's something that I have to remind myself a lot of. I think you just touched on something else too is, you know, working for a tech company is very overwhelming. Like I can remember coming at a CSAP and going into my partner role, I was intimidated. I mean, I'm supposed to be telling people who are, oh goodness, 20 plus years into their career about Cisco? Seriously? (laughs) What makes me qualified to do that, right? But I quickly started to realize that I might not know as much as person X or person Y, but I know a very broad portfolio. And I quickly realized that I don't have to go head to head with people. I can bring the value of Cisco as a whole to the table. You know, they're, they're, are you going to meet challenging people that want to geek out and they want to challenge your technical knowledge or lack thereof, whatever? Yeah, probably will. But for the most part, if you bring the power of Cisco behind you, and that's one of the most powerful messages at Cisco, never lose alone. And I think that's something that we can take as early in career. And remember, you have people here that can help prop you up and help make you feel more confident. And so don't forget that too. Amen. So we've been talking a lot about work-life balance and what defines actual work-life balance, the, the pressures of wanting to prove yourself in the beginning, and also just taking time to work on personal projects that either contribute to your career or they don't, you know, etc. Another thing that I want to mention is just the, the concept of vacation and vacation days. Cisco is corporate America. And with corporate America, you get designated vacation days. Gone are the days where you have winter break and spring break Mm. and things like that. So, Tammy, what's your experience as someone in the corporate world of taking vacation? When is the best time to vacation? Is it appropriate to take week-long vacations anymore? Can you just describe a little bit of the culture behind that? When I first started in the field, I was always trying to save my vacation time. So I would try to take a vacation day around a long weekend. I can remember we went to Niagara Falls with friends in Canada, beautiful place. But I made sure that we did it over a long weekend so that I could only use three vacation days instead of taking five days to do the the week-long option. 
And I can honestly say that I think that contributed to my burnout is by always trying to save your vacation days. And I honestly never knew what I was saving them for. Like, what was I waiting for? What grand event was going to happen for me to take these days? And I've seen people run out of the ability to accumulate time for vacation because they haven't taken it. And so I started to learn that I have to take vacation for my own health, my own mental health. And when you're in these really high stress jobs, you may experience that it takes you three days just to begin to come down from that performance gear that you're normally in. So if you're just taking a three-day weekend, that's not going to be enough. You're just going to start to unwind and then snap your fingers. You got to get back to the. So for me, I look at where the ebbs and flows. So usually around the holiday time, things get really quiet. My position in the field, August was really quiet too. So I booked two weeks in August and I booked two weeks around the holidays. And I took my full vacation time. And when I hired into the role I'm in now, I made that clear to my manager. I said, I make it a practice for my own mental health to take my full vacation days. Because for me, I just understand that even though, like I said earlier, I I like to be like a, you know, racehorse, like to be like a thoroughbred, but I do need downtime to recuperate. And if I don't have that, then I'm not doing anybody any good. I hear you. That's really great advice. It's okay to take vacation. That's not on a holiday weekend. Yes. And that's so so appropriate and so helpful. And also, you'll probably save money on Airbnbs if it's not on a holiday weekend. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tammy, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. I think that this conversation we're having is really valuable. And now I'm, now I'm planning out my mind where I want to take vacation and <laughs> what time. So I really, really appreciate it. Is there... Anything that you would recommend, ask any advice that you would have as a, a takeaway from this? I think I'm going to touch back on that imposter syndrome a little bit and pass on the words from my mentor, which is, he said, Tammy, it's not a revolution. It's an evolution. And I often repeat that sage advice to people that I talk to early in career and sometimes even just new to Cisco overall who have had experience but maybe not directly at Cisco. You know more now than you did two weeks ago. You may learn something today which means you know more than you did yesterday. And that's what's meant by that. It's an evolution. You evolve every time you're working. You're getting experience. You're getting more credibility. And don't just expect to wake up one day and all of a sudden you're there. You know, like, it's an evolution, not a revolution. Well, that's it for our episode today. Thanks for listening. For those participating in the word puzzle and a chance to win some fun prizes, the words of the week are future for all. Now, from our CSAB team and I, we say farewell. Farewell.